Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's celebrate God's Word together. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. And let's give God praise for teaching us through his word, because that's what he does. Every single time we open it, we learn more about who God is, how we live in relationship with him. And so I'm thankful for the word of God, the truth that it brings into our lives. Uh, hey, here's how I want us to start this morning. I want you to think about something. Uh, come up with something in your mind, something that you struggled at one time in your life to do. But now after years of practice or many, many tries, you're better at it. Maybe it's something that at one point in time you couldn't do without thinking about, but now you can just kind of do it, right? Like it doesn't even cost you uh, any brain power to do this, this task, this item. Maybe it's something at work, something at home. I've seen people who uh, crochet and they don't even look down. They just do it. Like, I'm like, how in the world do you do that? I don't know what you do with those big long needles and how you, I don't know how that works. Uh, but some people just have the ability and they didn't start out that way, but now they have the ability to do that. Uh, I can remember when I was growing up, I was about 14 or 15 years old uh, when my dad took me out one time and drove me to this sawmill. We had our truck and about a 20-foot long float trailer on the back, and uh, he got out of the truck and said, hey, get in the driver's seat. I didn't have my driver's license at the time because I'm going to go back here, and I want you to back the trailer into the spot where I'm going to stand. Great. I love challenges. Let's do that. And so I get in the driver's seat, 14 years old, thinking this is cool. My dad's going to let me drive a truck. How cool is that? It's got a trailer on the back. That's pretty special. And I was like, let's back this thing up. And so I start backing it up. And it didn't take long to realize that I didn't know what I was doing. And that trailer started turning directions that I didn't intend for it to turn. And what you don't realize if you've never backed up a trailer before is that everything is opposite. If you want it to go right, you have to turn Left. If you want it to go left, you got to turn right. And so my brain and my body are in conflict with each other when I know what it should be doing, but I don't know how to make it happen. And so I'm, I'm there in the middle of this sawmill with other grown men driving trucks, waiting on my little 14-year-old self to back this trailer into a hole and load up while my dad is going, back it up, back it up. And I would back up and then he'd go, no, no, straighten it up, straighten it up. And I had to straighten it up and then back it up again. And then I don't know how many times I jackknifed that trailer that day, but I would back it up, make a mess, pull forward, back it up, make a mess. And it just was terrible. And if the, the whole scene ended with me and my dad yelling at each other. It's not a good place to be as a 14-year-old, uh, screaming at your dad. And I eventually just said, I am not doing this. You move the trailer. That didn't go well either. But that didn't end the situation. My dad did come. He rescued me. He backed the trailer up, did it one time because he knew what he was doing. Uh, and so then after that, I was like, why don't you take me somewhere where I have lots of rent land to learn in. There's nobody watching me do this. It's not a pressure packed situation. Put me in a good situation to learn and do this thing. And so that's what we did. Uh, and, and eventually I learned how to do that. Now I'm not a professional at backing up trailers by any stretch of the imagination, but I can back a trailer up now and I can get it where it needs to be. I can even do it sometimes looking at the side mirrors instead of turning around and watching the trailer, right? Just like you're supposed to do. And so in all of these things you go, okay, Joel, why are you telling us this story about learning to back up a trailer? And here's why. Because we've started this series where we're talking about spiritual maturity. 
And we're learning what it looks like to be people who follow the heart of God, who are growing as individuals and growing as families and growing as a church to be more like Christ. And here's what I want you to hear today. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes consistency. It takes staying in the game to learn how to say no to the sinful part of your life in order to follow wholeheartedly after Jesus. And it's a process that we go through throughout our life. That's what Jesus has called us to. And so as we get into the, this, uh, uh, this teaching series that we're doing, I want you to see and know over time that with practice, consistency, and discipline, spiritual maturity is possible for you. Spiritual maturity will be demonstrated in the life of a believer over and over and over again and in many ways throughout your life. But there are some things that Paul gives us when we get into Galatians chapter 5 in just a minute that he helps us understand by boiling it down, I think, to two primary areas, what it means to be people who are spiritually mature. And so I want to give you these two things at the front, and then we're going to look at Scripture to explain them a little more fully. So if you're taking notes this morning, if you like to write things down, or if you have our app through the church, you can fill in some blanks on the app. But here's the two things I want you to see. The primary marks of spiritual maturity is putting to death the flesh, that you have to learn to put to death your fleshly nature. The Bible calls this our sin nature or our flesh. It's what we do when we're in control of things. The sin nature, what we inherit from our original parents, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, all those thousands of years ago in the garden when they rebelled against God and became sinners themselves, their, their sin nature was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And each and every one of us is born with that same sin nature. And so we need to learn to put to death the flesh or the sin nature. And the second thing that we learn to do is we learn to submit to the Spirit. We learn to submit to the Holy Spirit. As we learn to put to death our flesh and we learn to say yes and submit to the Spirit, we start to understand more fully what it means to be a maturing follower of Jesus, a disciple who's going after all the things that God wants for us. To say no to the Spirit, to put it to death, and to say yes, or excuse me, to the flesh, put it to death, to say yes to the Spirit and follow after the heart of God. And so that's what's taking place when Paul writes to the church in Galatia. This is a church that's experiencing a lot of turmoil. There are things that are going on when, when the apostles birthed this church, when they planted this church, they taught them about the grace that we gain from God, that our salvation comes by God's grace through our faith, not by our works so that no one boasts about anything. And that was great for a period of time, but there were others who came along later and said, no, 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 you've got to be a part of the Jewish law and you've got to do things to earn God's approval and earn God's favor. And so you kind of had these two factions in the church in Galatia, one that was saying everything is by grace through faith to follow after Jesus. And then another group of people who were saying, if you're going to follow after God, you've got to imbibe by the whole law. You've got to follow the law of Moses. And you've got to keep it perfectly in order to make God happy. And so in these two things, there's division in the church. There's factions in the church. And they're grumbling and complaining against one another. And not only are they doing things that are harmful to one another in that church relationship, but they're harming the name of Jesus in the middle of their community. They're being very harmful to the gospel. And so Jesus, uh, through Paul, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, helps to kind of get this church back on track. And so I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, but I want to go back and hit one last thing from our series last week as we kicked it off, here's what we've kind of been working as the framework to operate under for this series. We said this, when it comes to spiritual maturity, Jesus is always the focus and Christ-likeness is our ultimate goal. So when you start to think about what does it mean for me as a follower of Jesus to become more spiritually mature? How do I do that in this new year? What does it look like to take steps towards spiritual maturity, growth, 
as a believer in Jesus, how do I do that? When it comes to your spiritual maturity, Jesus has to be the focus. You're not trying to become spiritually mature by doing things that elevate and exalt and promote you. Jesus is the focus and Christ-likeness is the goal, that we want to be made more like Christ. And so that's the context in which Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Uh, certain individuals seem to be focusing on their own agenda rather than the grace of Jesus. And so I want us to see this together. If you take Galatians chapter five and start in verse 13, we're gonna start by reading down to verse 18. So check this out with me. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. But if you're under the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so when you become a follower of Jesus, here's what immediately takes place. He puts the Spirit of God in your life. The Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. That's part of the blessing of becoming a Christ follower, is that Jesus doesn't expect us to model his life and to live the Christian life in our own power, in our own understanding, in our own ability. He actually takes his Spirit and he puts it inside of us to propel us forward, to guide us, to move us, to be more like Jesus. And it's a process. It's a lifelong learning process that the Holy Spirit starts internally on the inside things of your life. And he starts from the inside working out to shape you to be more and more like the Son of God. And so we call that in theological terms, sanctification. It's this process all throughout your life of learning to be a follower of Jesus, learning to be more like Jesus. Day after day after day, the Spirit reveals things that don't look like Jesus, and under His power and guidance, you start to work out some of those things so that you look more like Jesus. And it's a process that you will go through for the duration of your life. And so when the Spirit of God begins to help you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, here's what starts to take place. As you read the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit starts to help you understand who God is that you see through the word of God who God is. As you pray, you start to understand how to not only talk to God, but listen to God through his spirit. As you live in relationship with other people, you start to understand the power and the joy of Christian fellowship and accountability. The spirit leads you into deep, intimate relationships. And as you serve, the Holy Spirit starts to develop spiritual gifts in you, things that he will use in your life for the betterment of the church and for the betterment of the community. It's for the exaltation of God's people. He will start to gift you and give you these spiritual gifts to bring added benefit to the church. But as young Christians, we all kind of begin in this place of having to learn to no longer operate in our own power and our own strength with our own fleshly desires. God wants to change us and move us from the things that we just do naturally that make us feel good and that make us happy and that bring joy to us. And he starts to say, I want you to see and understand who God is and what it means to live in relationship with him in a way that makes him happy. That the primary source of your joy is the glorification of your God. And so the Holy Spirit begins to do that. And so Paul instructs us in how to do that. If we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, we have to learn to put our flesh to death and learn to submit to the Holy Spirit. Look again at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. 
So if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, here's what we need to understand. Again, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Our flesh, which is the sinful, rebellious part of our life, will constantly fight against the work of the Spirit and what He's doing in us to make us more into the image of Jesus. That's what we're at war with here is that we have a sinful nature that we're born with that's ruled and dominated our lives from the time we were born. And when we come into faith in Christ, he puts his spirit in us, and there starts to be this conflict. Paul says the spirit is opposed to the flesh, and the flesh is opposed to the spirit, and so there's a conflict that's going on. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of conflict. I don't do well in conflict. It's not my favorite thing. I usually, if somebody starts arguing with with each other, I just kind of check out and go, all right, I got to get out of here. We'll see you later. Like, I don't like the conflict. I would much rather just take the loss than to argue with you about something or to be engaged in heavy conflict and discord. I just don't like it. It's not my personal thing. But what you see here is that the spirit moves into our life. And the first thing that he does is he comes into conflict with our our soul uh, on a fleshly level. Because all of the things that you've been driven by by sin your entire life, I'm now brought into to work in your life to get rid of those things so that you can more adequately and accurately and powerfully follow Jesus and live the life that Jesus has proposed to you. And so with all of that kind of going on, we see the conflict that's happening. And I would just tell you this, uh, this is kind of a newsflash, I am not a sinless pastor. Uh, There are a lot of things in my life that more often than I would like to admit that when the choice in front of me is to follow my sinful desires or to be obedient to the Spirit, more often than I would ever want to admit to you, I choose sinful things. That there's just this draw, and maybe you feel that same way, that there's this tug inside of you to go, I know what God says, and I know what Scripture teaches, and I even feel the tugging of the Spirit on my life toward godliness and holiness and maturity and those things, but man, I see this thing over here that I really want to do, and I still too often choose to engage in sinful activity rather than to engage in the spiritual. That's the conflict that's going on in the life of every single believer in this room, that we're always in this war. And we have to come to a place where we understand how to fight for this. The Apostle Paul felt the same tension. When we look at the Bible, we need to understand that although these guys, we sometimes will say, well, Paul, he was a super Christian. He probably never did anything wrong. He wrote half of the New Testament, and he was a follower of Jesus, and he did all these incredible things and miracles and all this stuff. Paul probably had it all together. Well, I want you to get the... the, kind of context here of what Paul says his life looked like. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. I was sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin to work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? And don't you just feel the struggle and the tension of what Paul's saying there? 
It's like I have this conflict. I want to be obedient to God. I want to do the things that God's calling me to, but I've got this sinful nature in me that's constantly tugging me away from God and saying, why don't you do this? Why don't you go on this path? Why don't you follow these things? Why don't you, this will make you happy. This will make you feel good. This will give you joy that you can't experience with God. And God all the time is tugging and going, no, come back over here. This is where you'll find pure joy and happiness in life is with me and in relationship with me. And Paul's just going, the struggle is real. Anybody feeling that? In your life, the struggle's real. He goes, so who's going to rescue me? What a wretched man that I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And I love the last verse here, 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And so Paul goes, look, I'm a wretched man and I need rescuing and who's going to do that? And he goes, thanks be to God. Because Jesus, Jesus has come to rescue us from this constant fight and tension and battle. He's here to help us find victory over sin, to be brought into relationship with his spirit in a way that gives us victory and brings us out of the darkness of sin's grasp. And so Paul told the Galatians, uh, the people in Galatia, he said, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what he told me. He said, listen, if you don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, walk in step with the Spirit. You go, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? And I think on some level, it reminds me of when I was a kid and we would get big snows and I would go out with my dad and I was too, too small to kind of make my own tracks, but my dad would walk. And as he would walk, he would make footsteps in the snow, in the high snow. And then what would I do? I would step right where he was. I wasn't carving out my own path. I was just stepping in his footsteps. And that's the same thing that the Spirit wants us to do. He goes, listen, I'm going to move ahead of you. I'm going to go on before you. I'm going to show you the way. And I just want you to read the Bible, listen for my voice, be attentive to me, and just know where I step is where I want you to step. I'll make it known to you in the moment where to step and how to take a next step forward in obedience to me. He says, if you don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, walk with the Spirit. I don't think Paul in his struggle ever got to a point where he just went, I want to do right, but I always do wrong. And the things I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I always do those things. I guess I'll just wring my hands and just throw them up and go, forget it. I guess I'll just go on being sinful the rest of my life. I don't think Paul ever got to a place where he did that. Paul instead fought for spiritual maturity. He fought for it. We've got to go to war just like Paul did in our nature, in our sinfulness, and say, I want to embrace the life that God has for me in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go to war against this sinful nature inside of me, and I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to root out the things in me that bring me down, that lead me to sin, that are tempting to me, and help me avoid those things so I can walk in His power and find His grace and His mercy new every single day. And so we've got to stay in step with the Spirit. And we've got to walk after these things. Like I said earlier, I don't love conflict. This is a conflict that's worth getting involved in. This spiritual conflict that every single one of us has as a follower of Christ is worth engaging in. When you see temptation come up in your life, it's worth the conflict to say no to that in order to be obedient to the Spirit of God and pursue after Him. When you have things in your life that come along that you go, I want and desire sinful things. I've got this craving towards sinfulness. It's worth the conflict to get in God's word and to find out how to say no to those things in order to be faithful and obedient to Jesus. It's worth it. It's what's going to grow us in spiritual maturity this year. It's going to stay 
consistently wading in to the conflict. Now, here's what I've found to be true in my life when it comes uh, to conflict between my flesh and my spirit. What I starve dies, and what I feed thrives. You ever seen that in your life? If it's going to be me pursuing after godliness or pursuing after sinfulness, what I feed thrives, and the thing that I starve dies. And here's how I'd illustrate that. Uh, I love fire. I just think it's cool. I love to go downstairs in the morning, turn on the fireplace, stand in front of the heat. I love that cold nature, just like warmth, all right? But beyond the fire in the fireplace, I love huge fires. I love to burn stuff, not in a pyromaniac kind of way, but I just like fire, right? Like, I'm, you don't have to be worried like I'm going to burn the church down or anything like that, but I just love watching stuff burn. It's just cool. And while we were home for Christmas with my parents, my dad had these two enormous piles of wood that he had been cutting down trees over the last few years and letting them dry out and just stacking them up. Enormous piles of wood, two of them. Man, it was Christmas when you get to light stuff on fire. And we went out in the field and we started with the, you know, the, the big machinery, picking stuff up, putting it on. We would douse it with diesel and then we threw the match on and we just watched that stuff go up in flames and we had these two enormous fires burning. And for two straight days, all we would do, we'd go inside for a couple hours, we'd look out, ah, the fire's kind of, you know, things are burning down, let's go throw some more stuff on it. We'd go pick up things that had fallen, get on the machinery, put stuff back on top. We would just keep stoking the fire, like we just keep feeding it, keep feeding it, keep feeding it. Those fires burned for four days straight. Just huge fires. But guess why they kept burning? Because every time we saw them kind of starting to die down, we'd go add more fuel to it, throw more wood on and the more we fed the fire, the more it burned, the bigger it got. When we stopped feeding it, guess what happened? Within a day, the fire went out. It was gone. In our Christian lives, the same thing is going to be true. If you want to be faithful and obedient to Jesus, you have to feed the things of the Spirit. You have to read the Word of God on a daily basis. Not just to read it and say, check, did that for the day I read it. Read it and meditate on it. Let it sink inside of your heart and your mind. Think it over. Come back to it throughout the day. Think about it. You have to spend time every day in prayer, listening for the voice of God, speaking to God, telling him what's on your heart, listening for him to speak back to you. Sometimes he'll speak in the way that the Spirit just prompts you. Other times he'll speak through his word, so be in that. If we're going to be spiritually mature people, we need to be people who are going to be in relationship with one another. We said last week that part of the idea of spiritual maturity means that it happens first on an individual level, but best in relationship with other people. And so as we're individually seeking to grow spiritually this year, the best context for that to happen is in deep relationships. So if you want to feed that part of your soul, get into a discipling relationship with somebody. Find some men, guys, that you can just hang out with and talk about the Word of God and pray together and, and encourage one another. Ladies, be a part of, of a relationship with some other women who can just invest in you and teach you and talk to you and pray with you and encourage you and read the Bible with you. Let those things nourish your heart and your soul and your mind this morning. And watch what happens when you start feeding the Spirit. All of a sudden, the sinful nature in you starts diminishing and starts backing off. The things that were so tempting to you at one point in time are far less tempting now as you're growing spiritually in your maturity. The things that you once couldn't say no to when it was put in front of you, now all of a sudden you're able in the power of the Holy Spirit to go, that, that's not what my life is about anymore. I'm following after Jesus, and he's better. 
and I want him more than anything. And so for all of us, when we look at these things, I can tell you in my life that when I add fuel to sin, I engage in it more and it gets out of control. But when I starve that sin and feed my soul consistent doses of scripture, my draw to that sin diminishes and my desire for it, I'm able to walk away more easily and more readily when that's the case. So when I'm in deep, accountable relationships with other men, my pursuit of sinful things lessens. When I'm in God's word, my pursuit of sinful things lessens. When I'm in prayer consistently, my pursuit of sinful things lessens. It diminishes. So how do you need to look at your life this week? I want to go uh, into, back into Galatians and look at some things that Paul tells us here because he describes for us what some of these sinful motivations and actions are. And I want you to see this word he uses in verse 19. I want you to pay attention to the word acts. He says the acts of the flesh. And so here's your next blank on your outline. The acts of the flesh are those things that we do when our sinful nature is in control. When our flesh is in control, the acts are the things that we do. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21 Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. It's sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty strong statement for Paul to end on there. Listen, if this is what your life is built around, if you're going to be dominated by the sinful nature, you don't get to inherit the kingdom of heaven if you're going to be just completely engaged in sinfulness. You need to turn your life over to your Savior. And when you repent of that sinfulness and and choose to walk away from it, to walk toward Him, He helps you now fight against these things. And by the way, I don't know if your sin was represented in here or not specifically. Maybe it was categorically. But Paul even says these things and the like. So he's not saying this is an exhaustive list of sin. He goes, these things and other things like them. So I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what you look at your life internally and just go, man, this is where my heart is just dark. This is where I'm broken because of sin. This is where I struggle This is where my my hope gets lost following Jesus because I just keep getting pulled back to this thing over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying, listen, these things all exist, but when you look at this list, we understand the sin struggle is real, but we understand that there's a Savior who helps us overcome the sin. That's what Jesus has come for. He's come to set us free and to give us victory over these things. And so when we see this, the second thing that I want you to pay attention to is not that we just get dominated by the sin, but look at what Paul says next. The fruit of the Spirit is available to us. And here's what the next blanks on your outline. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit produces in us when he's in control. So if the acts of the flesh are what are uh, brought out of us when we're in control, he says the fruit of the Spirit is what's produced in us when he's in control. So we kind of come at the acts part and go, what I do when I'm naturally in control is I act out. I do the wrong things. I pursue sinful ambitions. But when the Spirit is in me, He produces something in me. It's not something I come up with on my own. I don't produce fruit of my own accord. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's produced by the Spirit in my life. He gives it. And so you go, all right, well, then what is this, the fruit that I need to be bearing in my life? What am I asking the Holy Spirit to produce in me so that I can stay away from sinful ambitions and pursue the Savior? Here's what he lists. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All right, and so Paul says, look, if you want to really understand what the Christian life is, it's looking at all the acts of the flesh and knowing that when you invited Jesus into your life, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection gives you power with him living inside of you to crucify the flesh. The same way that Jesus physically died, you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can kill the sinful nature inside of us. We put it to death as we follow in obedience to the Spirit. Will it ever completely go away in this life? No. We will have a sinful nature as long as we live in this body. But we can see victory over those things as we follow after the heart of Christ. So our job every single day is to wake up and say, Spirit of God, I submit to you today that I want to follow in obedience to you rather than pursue my own sinful activities and desires. Let the fruit that you produce be more powerful than the acts that I will do. Produce in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those things. And so we come back to this idea of what Paul was teaching in the Galatian church anyway. And here's where the rubber kind of meets the road for us. If you remember in the church in Galatia, the whole problem was that there were two factions. People that lived in, by grace through faith and people who said you've got to obey the law and Jesus. It's both and, not either or. And so here's where this really gets worked out. We don't become spiritually mature by just sitting in a dark room in our house and thinking about love and joy and peace and patience. These things are fleshed out in relationship. This is where you grow in spiritual maturity. How do I love you? How do I have peace when there's conflict? How do I find joy? How is there patience when, when we're working together on something? Is God supernaturally changing me to be like his son when we're in relationship with one another? Because when the, the pot gets stirred, we start to see the activity of the spirit in us to help us live out the way of God. So that's what he's drawing us to today. And that's what we're looking for. So last week we said that spiritual maturity is an individual commitment best pursued in deep relationships with other people. Spiritually mature people are learning and growing in their ability to resist the desires of the flesh and to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's how I want us to close. I want us to look at a practical application point this morning and, and just look at this. I, when you think about your life, I would encourage you to identify what you continue to struggle with in the realm of the flesh. So what sin continues to linger and what temptations exist for you? And when you know those things, and each of us in our own heart and mind, when I say that, what do you struggle with when it comes to sin? You know. You know where your area of temptation lies and you know where your area of deepest sin exists. And so here's the two questions that I would ask when we think through this on a practical way. First, ask yourself, what are you doing to feed it? That if you look at this and go, gosh, I just keep struggling with this sinful thing. I just keep doing it over and over and over again. I don't want to. I want to live in obedience to Jesus, but this thing just keeps happening. It's the act of my life, the actions that work out. I just keep doing what I don't want to do. What are you feeding it? When you're tempted toward that thing, what do you feed it to push you over the edge to actually do it? Identify what you do that's feeding your sin problem. Here's the second question. Ask yourself what steps you can take to starve it. What would it look like for me to learn to say no to that? What would it look like for me to feed the spirit nature rather than the acts of the flesh? What would I need to do to say no to that 
in order to say yes to Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to think back to last week and what we talked about. If you weren't with us, just a, a quick debrief of that. In the Old Testament, Joshua became the leader of the Israelite people as they had exited the, the, uh, the nation of Egypt under slavery and had been through the desert wanderings. And then Moses, who had been in charge, was dying and died. Joshua becomes the first in charge of the people of Israel as they go in to conquer the promised land that God was giving to them. Once they conquer the land, there's peace and everybody comes to Joshua. He's now at his deathbed. He's about to die. And he just makes this claim. He says, you choose who you'll serve whether the gods on the other side of the river in Egypt or the gods of the people that we've just conquered their land. You choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, my pursuit individually first is that I'll serve the Lord. And then because of the work that God has done in me, I want to encourage by leading my family to be obedient to Christ as well. As for me and those who are under my authority, we'll serve the Lord that I want to lead them to see a life of beauty in following after Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves today, is saying for each of us individually, for me, I want to serve the Lord. And because of the beauty that I find in the relationship that Jesus has given to me, I want to lead others to do that too. My spouse, my children, those people that I have a relationship with, I want to lead others in my community to know Jesus and to follow after him. But we only do that when we'll starve and put to death, crucify our sinful nature so that we can bring to life a deeper, abundant relationship with the Spirit of God. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.